Yeah, so I, not to just make life, but it was really, it's been interesting being with Addison. It's, um, Addison is one of the funniest people I've ever met in my entire life, uh, literally, and, and one of the smartest. Literally, he took some sort of um, you know, aptitude test in the Marines, and they literally showed up his, at his door and said, we've never seen scores this high ever in our lives as it relates to what you're doing. And, and so he's not only uh, funny, but very, very bright. And, um, but it's one of those things that he'll sit in his room, and you know, he basically said, you can't cry in my room. And uh, which is pretty funny. And uh, and then he just cracks jokes. And so when they found when he found out he was losing his eye, I and mean, of course you know, everyone's just overwhelmed. And they go, Addison, you know, what do you think? And he goes, Do you think I could get some dope eye patch for your wedding, Alicia? Right? He's like, ah, you know, just hilarious stuff. And so it's one of those neat things that you know God really is present uh, with Addison. You know, he'll you know, they had a really. They had a, a kind of a dark moment uh, back on Wednesday night, and, and so I was—I just got right after I just gotten there. Uh, they'd been talking, and and he and Addison said, "I said, how are you?" He goes, "He's like, I'm awesome. Like you know what could happen. Yes, but I literally see Jesus, and I've been holding His hand since I've been here." And he wasn't just saying it like it was figured to like there was something going on for him that he was experiencing the peace of Jesus and and uh, and the movement of God's presence. And so all that to say is we pray for him. There's not a hopelessness that's defining what's going on for them. There is a real hope and a movement and expression of God's presence. Does it mean it's not difficult? Does it mean it's not hard? Absolutely does not mean that is not. Does it mean everything's easy and there's no tears? Does not mean any of that. But just means in the moment that really God is faithful to be with us in those seasons. And so as you pray, we're praying with faith of knowing God's nearness and presence in the moment. Okay, so I invite you to continue to pray for Addison. And I would invite you this morning, there are lots of other things going on that aren't maybe just as huge and as big as this. People's lives that are impacting them in a major level of vintage. As we dive into the emotionally healthy spirituality, it's been interesting. It's like, you know, I was praying with Kathy Cox this morning before service, and she had this word. She's like, I just have this picture, Steve. And I'm like, and it really fits. It fits. I feel like there's like this tornado that's just beginning. You know, I mean, it's one of those things that tornadoes are scary things, right? Like, I don't, I don't ever go, tornadoes, woohoo, right? But there's also the sense that when God does something, when God's spirit moves, that it's almost like a tornado, right? It's like he comes and says, I'm going to put everything in upheaval in your life in order to ultimately bring about healing in your life. Because I don't know about you, but when, but when healing occurs in my life, when God puts his finger on things, it's never like, this is the best moment ever. Thank you, Jesus. Like, no, it's like all of a sudden there's a stirring and it's like God brings up emotions and God brings up realities from my past and God puts his finger on insecurities. He puts his finger, fingers on areas of brokenness and I have to like actually be honest with myself about what I'm dealing with. Could anybody identify with that? This this room's more holy than you all are. Side, no, you know what I'm getting at. There's just this tension, and so that's kind of what God feel like God's doing. And there's just all this stuff that God's stirring. He's He's saying, "You want me to? Yes, you want to bring healing? Then let's make this happen." So all that to say, there's just lots of things going on, lots of things that God's putting His finger on, lots of issues that people are wrestling and struggling with. And here's what we're believing: that God is moving in power. He is Lord over those situations, and that He is going to bring restoration. He is going to bring healing in time. But I'm asking you to be praying for everyone at Vintage because as God begins to put his finger on things, we can't run from hide from those things anymore. And he says, you can't move. You really want me to move and bring revival in your life? Then let's deal with the issue that's keeping it from happening. And that's never easy. Okay. And so please, 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 please be in prayer for Addison and for everything else going on at Vintage. You know things that I don't know about. You pray for those things, okay? And let's pray for breakthrough in life. All right. So we are excited uh, about where we are at Vintage right now in the context of our small groups. As Randall talked about, we are launching into those literally starting today. 
And uh, so we're excited. We believe that God is doing great things. We believe that he's going to to do great things. We believe that we are launching into a journey beginning right now that will last us for a long period of time. Because the idea for us is this. And when looking at the small group and emotionally healthy spirituality, it's like a nine week study. We recognize that that it's not just a nine-week series and then you're perfectly healed and whole and ready to go, right? Because we recognize this nine-week book that's about this thick is 19 years of Peter Scazzaro's life that he's put into one book. And so if it takes him 19 years, we probably recognize it's not going to happen for us in nine weeks. So what Scott said a couple of weeks ago, and I'm just trying, to, just kind of trying to lower, sort of give you real, not lower, but lower expectations of what's going to happen in nine weeks, but to give you clear expectations of what we're thinking, that in, in this nine-week stretch that God's going to say, hey, we're going to do an overview of everything going on in your life. All these things I want to grow and I want to do in your life, and I'm going to, in those nine weeks, I'm going to put my finger on areas that relate to you. And then we're going to move on to the next chapter. We're going to learn things there. So the idea is it's going to put God put his finger on things he wants to, to move in. He's going to give you language to help you process things he did yesterday. He's doing today and will do tomorrow because language is important. All of a sudden something happens in my life and I go, oh, my gosh, that was chapter three in this. Right. You're like, oh, my gosh, this is huge. And now I'm like, I'm not crazy. This is actually the way that God brings about emotional healing and restoration in my life. So it's a flyover. God putting his finger on things, giving you a grid to help God work in your life as you gain understanding of the things he's doing. So, for example, there will be a chapter, I think it's chapter six, said journey through the wall. And the journey through the wall is something I've been using really for the last couple of weeks. He ripped it off of a guy named St. John of the Cross called the Dark Night of the Soul. And basically he says that, listen, every single believer in life will reach a moment of the dark night of the soul or a wall in your life. And it can be caused by grief. It can be caused by death in your life. It can be caused by trauma. It can be caused by unmet expectations. Anything in your life that is some wall that you come up against that ultimately you want to run from because it's too hard to go through. He says in the journey through the wall is this moment the enemy doesn't bring about. It's the Lord brings you to says, all right, here's the issue. Now to get to the other side. Where you lose, where you no longer are, are wrestling with control and trying to figure things out. You have to give this thing to the Lord and journey through the dark night of the soul. Journey through our grief. Journey through the difficulty to get to the other side. Why? So there can be restoration and healing. St. John of the Cross said it well, as, as you read it in the book. He says something along the line. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. He says, he says, by nature, when we reach this moment... We want to go back to where the sun is and light. So we try running west, trying to capture the sun again, rather than just go through the night to get to morning. And I love that. It's the idea of we've got to push through our brokenness to get to this place. And so why am I telling you that? Well, we're going to dive into it here in, in, a, in actually a few weeks. But I'm sharing it now because what God did in me is this. Ha, ah, this is language to help me process with people. It's language to help me process stuff in my own life. And it's given me a grid to work off of. And here's the beautiful thing. When you get to that chapter, from that chapter forward, listen. We all will now have the same language to process the place that God is bringing us to. And I'll tell you something. And when we people speak the same language, it helps us communicate. That's why we're doing this study together. It's why it's important you dive into it, because we want you to be able to all have the same language to help us bring healing to one another as we pray for one another, as we process with one another. And so I invite you to be into it. We're excited about what God's doing flyover. And this morning, what I want you to recognize is this. We're doing it in the context of relationship with other people. And that's what we want to dive is to focus on this morning. Like, I want you to recognize the most dangerous thing in the world is people living in isolation. 
I don't care if you're an introvert and you can't stand being around people. You are a better self if you're around other people and not just hanging out to shoot the bull and have a good time, but to dive into actual life issues and process things that you are dealing with. Because people who hide things in the dark then live in the dark and they become strange and weird. Can I get an amen? And so we have this in the context of relationship, doing it with people. If you say, I don't need people, then you're better than Jesus, stronger than Jesus, because he needed his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane at his, at his dark night in the soul, at his journey to the wall. Do you hear that? Jesus couldn't pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. How do we know that? Because he invited his disciples to come and pray with him. He got upset when they didn't follow through and pray with him. Could you not even pray for an hour with me? He didn't bring them there for themselves. He brought them there for himself. They needed other people. He needed other people. And so we want to be in the context of relationship with other people. And this morning what I want to do is I want to dive into this context of relationships in general, but specifically seeing it in the context of relationships that you're in in your small group. So you get that? Like, we're going to be kind of naming small groups because that's the relationships we're diving into. But this is the context, honestly, of Paul's expectation of what it means to be in relationship with all people. Okay, so this morning we're going to dive into Galatians chapter five here in a moment. But I want to give you kind of a a background of Galatians chapter five. Paul in Galatians chapter five, he comes and says, all right, let's talk about what it looks like to live life in the spirit. I'm not going to read all the way through. I'm going to get to twenty five here in a moment. I'm going to kind of give you the background. So 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 let's say we're going to live by the spirit. And the reality is this. Every single believer that gives their life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in them. Right. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in them. And the idea for Paul is that when the Holy Spirit comes in, he wants to grant you freedom and to give you power over sin in your life. He wants to give you freedom and he wants to give you power over sin in your life. And we live life now in the life of the spirit, live life in the spirit. What do we experience the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, that's right here in Galatians chapter five, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, all great things, right? So he's saying you've been, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and comes in you, you now are living life by the spirit and he's come to give you freedom and to give you victory over sin. And then he contrasts that, but we still live in the fallen world. We still live in a fallen nature, so we're going to wrestle with, and we have to be aware of our sin nature. And he he goes through and and lists, just before the fruit of the Spirit, a long list of sins that we wrestle with. Immorality and lying and insecurities, all these pieces, right? Everything you can think of that sin births, he names those things. So he says the believer is going to live in this tension It's contrasted here. They're designed to live in freedom, a life in the spirit, right? Free from sin. But we're going to wrestle with this fallen nature that we're still that still we're still a part of. And we're going to still wrestle with sin. So he said, so so live by the spirit, 516. So I say live by the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of your sinful nature. Keep in step with the spirit. And so what we're getting at this morning is Paul is naming, hey, The life we now live in Jesus, the life of the Spirit, is a powerful one where God's Spirit is dwelling inside of us, has given us freedom. We have to be aware of this sin, but recognize we've been designed to live in freedom with victory over sin. Well then, Steve, what does the life in the Spirit look like? I'm glad you asked. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 14 says this. For you were called to freedom, brothers, and I'll add sisters there. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. So what I want you to read, I want you you to see in the context of these verses is Paul is coming and saying, there's a life in the spirit. What does the life of the spirit look like? It's a life where we use our freedoms to serve one another. 
See, one of the great tensions that we face in America, specifically the land of the free, is that we've come to have an unhealthy view of what freedom actually means. In the context of Paul talking about freedom, he would still land on the fact that it requires high levels of responsibility and hard work. So we're going to look at that in a minute. He would say freedom does not mean a life. And I want you to hear these three phrases because I think they literally do define how American Christians specifically think about their freedoms. Number one, they would say, hey, it's a level of carefree independence. Carefree independence. I just want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I don't have to worry about anything. I just want to go on vacation all the time. I want to go out on my boat. I want to be free, not worried about anything. I don't want to have to worry about anyone. Carefree independence. So, why, so have you ever found bad parents who get frustrated they have to parent? Have you ever met those parents? Oh, my gosh. Can't you just get it together? Can't you? What, oh, my gosh. Do I have to really pick up at school today? Can't you better ride home? They want carefree independence, right? They want a freedom from responsibilities. They don't want to be responsible for anything. That's, those are the ones like, hey, can we get someone to do PTA? They're like, mm. you want to bring the meal to the team today? Mm, right? They, want, they don't want to have any kind of responsibilities because in that it feels like work and their work. I mean, I have, I'm, I'm, I'm a free human being. I don't have to have responsibility. I'm not responsible for you. Right? So we have these, these, this freedom, this like desire for the freedom from responsibility or, or never-ending personal pleasures. I want to give my life to Jesus and he's going to make everything go okay. Right? I don't want to suffer in life. don't want any hardships. What happens when hardships come? Like, oh my gosh, the world's falling and crumbling. Why? Because we live under this delusion that we've been designed for, per, like, for, for this carefree independence, free from responsibility, and never-ending personal pleasure. How dare you make my day difficult? How dare you? We just live in this tension. All three of these things. We say freedom for us means these things. Hear them again. Carefree independence. Freedom from, freedom from responsibilities and never-ending personal pleasure. And Paul says, for you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. But hey, hey, hey. Don't use your freedoms for carefree independence and freedom from responsibilities and never-ending personal pleasures. This is your opportunity. That, that's the flesh. But you have an opportunity now through love to serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Think about this phrase, this quote, and it's not on the screen. Just think about it. Mother Teresa once said, I wasn't called to the poor. That's crazy talk. I mean, she lived her life literally among the poor. We've been to several of her homes in India, right? It's like she wasn't, she wasn't called to the poor. She was called. She goes, I was not called to the poor. I was called to love Jesus, and I followed him to the poor. Do you hear that? Like, I wasn't called to the poor. That's not, the poor is not my calling. My call was to Jesus, and I followed him because when I fought, when my freedom, when I followed him, he led me to the poor. Because where does Jesus always go? Those that are in need, broken and hurting, because this is the nature of what he does. And so the picture I want you to have this morning, the context of our freedom, it's real simple. I have the freedom to follow Jesus. With nothing hindering me, no sin entangling me, and the goal and the intention of Jesus in the context of me following him, it's going to say, oh, everything I do is about loving those that are in need. So that's what I'm leading you to. And so as we talk then about our neighbors and we talk about relationships this morning and small groups, I want you to see this context of, of Paul's words and about the nature of our neighbors and being in relationship with them. So this morning, as we talk about neighboring, as we talk about loving those who are in relationship with, I want you to think about small groups. There are three things I want to say about small groups. Three quote-unquote expectations, or may just put it because you don't like expectations, do you? That makes you feel weighty and stealing your freedom. So we've got a few requests that I have of you this morning in the context of the small groups that you're going to be a part of, okay? Number one, would you please fully engage the material? Would you please show up on Sunday morning and listen to the message so when you show up, you're prepared? Would you please read the chapter? You're like, oh my gosh, Steve, I hate reading. I know, it's 
takes, it takes literally 15, 20 minutes to read the chapter. Read the chapter. Stop two times a day and just slow down to intentionally be with Jesus through the devotional that we got you. Why? It's literally like five minutes. Literally, it's not that long. It's not that hard. And you're going to be, it's going to be so life-giving because the devotional goes with the book. Bring your workbook to your small group so you actually can go through because there are questions during the week. You're going to learn how to do it. Engage that. Oh, my gosh. It is so much. It's for 70 days. That's it. I mean, literally for 70 days, can't you fully engage this? Just fully engage the material. Number two, share, share your challenges or share inside the group. Let me just talk to some introverts real quick. <laughs> like introverts in their minds say, about group number six, I'll start talking. But until then, I'm just, I'm just, I gotta get to know people. All right? So introverts, listen. Start talking. Like, I'm going to challenge you. Be the first one to talk every week. Like, just say, okay, Jesus. Like, I know what's going to happen. Like, you're going to, like, you're going to get, like, cotton in your mouth, right? You're like, your mind's going to get into this race. Like, I didn't know these people. Ah, ah, right? You're going to, like, crying out for Jesus. Help me just to talk. I, mean, I do it every day to people that I know. But for some reason with people I don't really know all that well, it's like I can't even do it. Just push through and do it. And be honest and talk about what you're struggling with, extroverts. Shut up. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, introverts, let me tell you what to do. Because you, 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 all extroverts, all extroverts like this, talking with their hands. Sit on your hands. And let me give you a, here's the deal, extroverts. So if you feel like you need to share, guess how long you get to share in your, listen, you get two minutes. That's it. Sum it up in two minutes. And then guess what? You have to wait for three more people to talk before you can talk again. But you know what happens? You get into a group and six weeks in, every extrovert's like, this is the best group ever because you've been talking nonstop and you love talking. Introverts are like, well, about group week six, it's about time I might say something. But Randall's talking again and I just can't do it. That's how She's not here, so we can't pick on her. So, but you know what I'm getting at. You know what I'm getting at. And I'm just asking you to share. These aren't very large groups. Why do we not do very large groups intentionally so people have the space to share? Honestly. And let me just be honest with you. Please show up to your group. But if you have small groups of like six people and then like four of you don't show up, that's an awkward small group. <laughs> show up. Just show up. Do you, did you have a long day? Every day is long. Right? I mean, every day is long. Oh, my gosh. It's just so hard. I know it's hard. Life's hard. Show up. It's 70 days. It's basically a total of like nine groups. It's just it. It's a total of 18 hours. Can you suck it up? I'm asking I mean, this is literally like Jay, like friend to friend, man. It's like, just suck it up and go to your group. Everybody has an excuse to not go do anything because you have the freedom to do what you want to do when you want to do it. Suck it up. Love your neighbor. Why? Because they need you in your group. God puts you in the group. He led you to the group so you would show up to the group. Listen, I get it. If you can't show up one week, there's no, we're not being legalistic here. Like, if you literally can't be there, I totally get it. I'm just saying for the lazy people who just think life's too hard, because it's like, you know, I'm getting at, you know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm saying. You know, those times you're like, oh, I should go. Because here, let me just be honest with you. Every single time someone says to me, Steve, I just, oh, I'm going to come, but it's like, oh, every single time and they don't come, I'm like, you're the very person who should have been there. Every time, literally. So again, there's not legalism. I'm really, I'm honestly not being legalistic here. I get it. Sometimes you can't make it, and there's grace for that. You just know what I'm saying. Like, you're not going because you're just being lazy. Please push through that. And the third thing we're talking about this morning is connect relationally with your group. Jesus has led you to the group. Therefore, in your freedom, if he's led you there, and true life in the spirit is loving your neighbor then he's led you to that group to be in relationship with them and to love them. Do I expect that you're going to start doing vacations with them every year? We can be best friends forever. No, I don't. 
But do I believe that God puts you in that group because they need you and you need them? Absolutely. And let me say again, for those of you who aren't part of Vintage and this is your first time here, I'm talking about the nature of relationships that God's placed you in at work. He placed you and your freedom. He led you to that place to be in relationship with them. You can't afford to hate them. You have to love them as you love yourself. So this morning, let's dive into this. Galatians chapter 5, verse, verse 25. Remember, we're talking about life in the Spirit, loving your neighbor. He says, so, so since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Don't lag behind, right? Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves. We may also be tempted because sin is tempting, right? Now, verse 2, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ to love God and to love neighbor. Verse 3, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. We'll come back to this in a minute. For each one should carry their own load. So, again, let's just kind of everybody follow up. Life in the Spirit. You've been given freedom in Christ. Not for your own personal pleasures, right? But to follow Jesus to those that are in need that you're in relationship with. Who is my neighbor, Steve? What do you mean by my neighbor? People that you're in a relationship with. Don't get hung up on language here, okay? Who's my neighbor? Those who God has led you to be in relationship with. Those are your neighbors. Those are who you're called to love. So think about people in your home. Think about your people you literally live around. Think about the people you relate to every day. Think about the people that you are working side by side with in your job. These are your neighbors, right? So he's saying you're the, the mark. Listen, the mark of a, of a spirit-filled life. This is important. The mark of a spirit-filled and spirit-led life is not speaking in tongues. It's not the gift of prophecy. It's not healing. Not the working of miracles. It is the life live loving your neighbor. How do we know revival has come? Not because the gifts are flowing, but because people are laying down their life like they did in Acts chapter 2 and giving of the best of themselves for those that were in need. The real miracle of Acts chapter 2 was not all the miracles and the healings. It was that people took the best of their resources, their time, and their money and gave it to those that were in need to love them. And Paul is saying, please be aware, the true life in the Spirit, the true mark of a life lived in the Spirit, and true Jesus-style freedom is a life of loving neighbors and those we're in relationship with. So, Steve, what does that look like? I'm glad you asked, because this is what it looks like in chapter 5 and chapter 6 of Galatians. Number 1 is verse 26. We embrace humility. We embrace humility. Verse 26 says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Like, do you like, I mean, honestly, do you like people in your life who are conceited, full of themselves, always provoking you to get a rise out of you, and always envying and always competitive trying to one-up you? Do you actually enjoy those people in your life and look to hang out with them all the time? No. You don't like those people. You may have to love them and like them, but you don't like being around them. So don't be those people. That's what Paul is saying. Those who are walking in the spirit, the life of the spirit, right? They embrace humility all the time. They embrace humility. They never think of themselves as better than anyone else. They recognize sin is sin and their own brokenness. Their own life is not better than someone else. Their sin is not less than anyone else's, right? Because they recognize my worth is not determined by anything that I do. It's determined by Jesus. And he loves each of us. So I can't put myself as better than someone else because Jesus sees us all as being worthy of dying for And so I can put myself in any place at any time with anyone. I don't, I embrace the the life of the Spirit and I stop judging people by how they look, the clothes they wear, the cars they drive, the house they live in, the things that they do, the way that they talk. I'll be honest with you. Every single person, if you put yourself around people, listen, when you put yourself around people who are not part of your everyday culture, you think you're better than them. You do. Every single one of us. Because we're like, oh, well, I don't judge anybody. 
because they look, they act, and they sound just like us. They wear clothes that look like ours, and then we get around someone who looks different, with a different skin tone within us, has different types of jobs than we're used to, and uses language we're not used to. And we go, and we go uh, thankfully I'm not them, Jesus. I just put their blessing upon them. And what do you pray when you pray that? That they'll be more like you. That's what you're praying. Make them more like me. Have you ever read Flannery O'Connor, White Trash? That short story? Go read it. It describes what I'm talking about. So embrace humility. That's what it looks like. That's what we express love for one another. Number two, lovingly and intentionally deal with sin. Lovingly and intentionally deal with sin. Verse one, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But be careful. Watch yourselves. Why? Because we can all be tempted at any time and fall into sin. So be very, very careful. Be very diligent. Be very aware of what's going on. But the thing I want you to see is we must lovingly and intentionally deal with sin. Hear this. I'm not saying that you go, hmm, I'll pick on Todd. Todd, oh, brother, you're in such sin. You might be going to hell. Right? I can't, I can't believe you're doing that. Are you serious? Like... God is angry with you. Or whatever it looks like that you sound like when you talk. I would never actually sound like that when I talk to Todd. I'm like, yo, bro, whatever. Right. No, but seriously, God, Paul said, listen, when we come in, we never look over someone's sin because in their sin, they're literally believing a lie. And we love them too much to let the enemy guide them down the path of destruction. Right. We would love them too much to let God, to let the enemy lead them down the path of destruction. And so we come alongside. Well, what are some of your prerequisites? Well, you have to love them. Never correct someone if you're not willing to give the best of yourself to them. Hear that. If you're correcting them from a distance because of right and wrong, there's no love in that. We only correct because we love them so much that our heart breaks for them. And we're willing, listen, we're then willing to walk with them from the hell that they're in and out of it. You can never, ever, ever in obedience to God correct someone of their sin if you're not willing to die for them and walk them out of it. Just keep your mouth shut. Because when Jesus met the woman at the well... He sat down with her and he loved her and just talked to her and spoke honestly to her. And she didn't get offended. She tried to hide from her sin. But there was such love emanating from her that she, even after being called out three times, she just didn't want to leave because she felt so loved by him. And then he set her free and she became an evangelist before Stephen ever became one. The first evangelist we ever know of in Scripture was the woman who left that moment of salvation and went to share the gospel of Jesus to her entire community. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Lovingly, intentionally deal with sin. Come alongside of people. Listen, in our groups, we want to go in. But here's the problem. So many of us, the primary reason we don't deal with people's sin, we don't call it out, we don't come alongside them. Two things. Number one is a fear of rejection. Oh, they're not going to like us anymore. They're going to think that we're not going to love us. They're going to get angry. Oh, my gosh. Right. Or we're just don't love them enough to walk out of their sin with them. Oh, it just cost me too much. Too much time. Broken. Don't have time for that. I got my own stuff going on. Lovingly and intentionally deal with sin. The third thing we see is in verse 2. It says this. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. This is really practical. I mean, it's like it's, it's really the hub of the entire book of Galatians, honestly. Carry each other's burdens. I mean, y'all, that, that's heavy stuff. There's no getting around it. Being a good neighbor costs us time, energy, and resources. It does. It costs us time, it costs us money, and it costs us time, energy, and resources. Care, listen, when they picked up the... I want you to think paralytic when you're thinking of these things. When they, listen, have you ever carried dead weight before? 
I don't care if there's four people on the end of a stretcher. It's not like some like stretcher we have today. It's probably like this makeshift thing. And like, it's not easy to carry that person. They're literally like having to carry the weight of this person all the way down the hill, up hills, up on top of a stinking roof. And then to dig through the roof to let him down to carry his burdens because he could not carry himself. This takes on lots of things. I've sat with people and said, Steve, I, I'm so undone. I'm just so, I can't even pray. You know what I say? Please don't. I got you. I'll pray for you. You just, you just, you just sit. And just sit and we will pray. We will intercede for you. If you're struggling financially. We will come alongside of you and help you. Struggling in the context of a marriage, struggling in the context of a relationship with my children, struggling right with depression. We're going to come alongside of you in the moment. You can't even carry yourself. It takes time. It takes money. It takes resources. It takes our energy. And that's really, really hard for us. Like, let's be honest with you. Like, and that's not a, that's not a, we don't do that because we're good Christians. We don't do it because we're good Christians. I did not go to the hospital to see Addison because it's my job as a pastor. That would be stupid. I'm not, I don't do, I don't, I don't love people because it's my job. It's not my job to go to the hospital because I'm a pastor. It's our job to go to places where people need because we love them as good neighbors. I got to go in and Addison's mom and dad, Rick and Daddy, I don't even hardly know them, but I walked up there and I just walked in and they just looked at me and they just began to weep and Rick grabbed me and just hugged me and put his head on my shoulder and began to weep. Not because I was a pastor. It's because I was living free in the spirit to go love those I'm in relationship with and just hug them. Carry other burdens. Burdens will come up in our small groups. I'm going to skip down. I'm going to skip down because I want to tie this in with this next one. I'm going to skip down. We'll come back. Don't worry. But I think it helps from my first service. Let this be helpful to connect these. So verse 4 and 5. This is me number 5. Verse 4 and 5 says, If each one should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves with someone else for each one should carry their own load. So number 5. The point says do your part. That's the fifth one. Do your part. Okay, so skip down. Thank you. Do your part. Verse 4 and 5. So what I want you to see in this is Paul in verse 4 saying, each one should test their own actions. What does he mean by that? Well, test your motives. Why do you do what you do? Is it to be seen? Is it in comparison to what others are doing? Is it trying to earn something from someone or to earn God's favor, to earn God's love? Why do you do what you do? Is it because it's just your job, Steve, you go down there? Or is it because you actually love him? He's saying, come in. So first, in all that you're doing and loving your neighbor, test your actions. Make sure your actions are pure in their, in their motives. As we do that, then we can take pride. We can take pride in ourselves. What does he mean by that? Without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one to carry their own load. So what he's saying is this. You each have a job to do. In the context of loving your neighbors, like, Troy has neighbors that I will never meet. It's not my job to love Troy's neighbors. It's Troy's job to love Troy's neighbors. I don't have a responsibility to love them. So how does he need to love his neighbors? With such, with pride. Have you known someone who does their action with great pride in all of their work? Like my grandmother, I would walk into her house and I would go, Grandma, did you make a pound cake? You know what she would do? She'd go, I sure did. It's the best pound cake you're ever going to have. Let me tell you how I made it. And she would walk, and I'd walk in and go, mm-hmm. I didn't pay a word. I didn't pay a, I paid attention kind of, right? But I'm like, mm-hmm, my God, this is the best pound cake ever. Why? Was she like, well, I made it because you're my grandson. I had to do it because I knew you'd be here today, right? Trying to please your dad to make sure that he knows that I love his, grand, his son, right? I got to do it for your grandson. No, she did it because she loved me. And when she did it, she did it with pride. She didn't, she didn't, she, she didn't look at Betty Crocker. Who could Betty Crocker, man? I got Ruby Hambrick. 
He's making an awful scratch in there, pulling everything in. I'm like, this is what Pancake Gabriel Grandma, thank you, right? She's like, takes pride in what she does. And so what Paul is saying is, in your freedom, God's called you to love your neighbor that's your load to carry. He has a call upon your life of those that you need to come in contact with, you need to care for. I can't love your neighbor. You can't love my neighbor. But when you love your neighbor... Make sure that you are answering the call of God and doing your load and carrying your load and doing your job. And when you do it, do it with pride. Love to the best of your ability with everything inside of you. Nothing being held back. Nothing being held back. And I marry these two together. And I want you to hear this. This is something Tim and I talked about several months ago. And, and it was just a great thing that we, it was a great discussion. It was something that I wanted help with. He wanted help with. We just kind of sharpened one another. He said, Steve, we talked about, like, what do we do? What do we do? It's something we were both struggling with. What do we do to not be taken advantage of in carrying someone else's burdens? Can I get an amen on that question? Amen. I don't know who gave the last amen over here, but thank you, right? <laughs> no, in that moment, what do we do? And the idea is this. There are moments in life, in the context of those that we're helping, that in helping we're actually hurting. Because we're not actually helping them stand on their own, as it says, to carry their own load, to do their thing, to answer their call, to step up and be the father they're supposed to be, to step up and be the mom they're supposed to be, to step up and be the, the, the provider of the family that they're supposed to be. And so let me just go ahead and tell you the answer to this question. It's real simple. You have to sit down with Jesus and in prayer and in others that you're in relationship with and pray through when does helping hurt? Because it's different for each person. It's different for each individual. It's different for each circumstance. I'm going to carry your burden, Carl, until it's time for you to walk on your own. And then in obedience to Jesus, I'm going to I'm going to follow him away from you so that you can walk on your own and go walk with somebody else who's a paralytic. There's no easy answer is the point I'm getting at. And then Tim will now talk. It's like we live in tension. It's like, my gosh, I, I feel like a bad guy if I don't help here. I don't feel like a bad guy if I'm not doing this. We've all felt that. And I would simply say, it's the thing we talk about when we go to India. Just put it in the context of when do we help those who are begging on the begging on in, in poverty, literally in, in in the streets of India. You know, we when Tammy and I we landed for years, like we talk about this every year we would go for the last fifteen, about sixteen years. Every time we go, it's like we said the same thing to teams. Helping you go and your call is not to figure out who we need to help. It's to who is God calling us to love and be obedient to in the moment. Or who, who is God calling us to help in the moment? And so I may help a person over here, but I feel the Holy Spirit compelling me to do so. I come over here with Ron and go, bro, I love you. God's not calling me to do that today. I love you. And I walk on. And is it, is it black and white? Absolutely not. The black and white piece is I'm called and compelled to go to the feet of Jesus and stay and listen until he gives me an answer of where to walk. I don't walk. Listen, if I'm going to keep in step with my spirit and with the spirit of God, it means I can't lag behind and doing nothing. I can't run ahead and do too much. I have to keep in step with him. So why does Jesus do that? What can you just tell him in the Bible what to do? Because he wants you to be with him. He wants you to ask. He wants to put you in circumstances that overwhelm you. Why? So it forces you to go to him and have a conversation. In our small groups, in our relationships, we will carry some burdens. And others, God will say, that's not your burden to carry. Do I live in guilt for the burdens I'm not carrying? Absolutely not, because I'm keeping in step with the Spirit. And he never felt guilty. Jesus would heal five people and leave a hundred behind. And he was completely fine with it and obedient to Jesus in the moment. Or to the Father in the moment. Be kind of awkward to be obedient to himself. That'd be kind of awkward, right? There's obedient to the Father. See, that makes me, that's just like a wrestling. I know. Go wrestle with Jesus and make sure he wins. Number four, going back is self-awareness. I say that in all seriousness. Let him win. Let him speak. Let him give you clarity every time. Number four, 
in the context of loving your neighbor, you have to be self-aware. So Paul comes in verse 3 and says, If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. This gets back to the area where you think that you're better than somebody. Verse 3, he's talking about this fact that in, in light of the previous verse, Paul is saying this, people must check their heart and their motives. People think too, listen, people think too highly of themselves. They will believe it to be too far beneath them to help others or to carry their burdens. He is telling his readers to always be checking their hearts, check their motives, and check their hesitations. What's keeping us from loving well? What's keeping us from taking the step? He's saying we have to be aware because so often it's our own pride. It's our own desire for our own personal freedoms. Right? We, we want to have our own carefree independence, our own freedom and responsibilities, our own never-ending personal pleasure. And Paul's saying, please check your motives. Please check your motives. The heartbeat of Paul, and this is real simple. The whole Old Testament, because he was only talking the Old Testament at the time, the whole Old Testament, now we would say the New Testament, are all summed up. Everything that you hold your Bible up, you could sum it up in two things. Love God. How do I do that? By by loving your neighbor. The Bible's not real hard. Love your neighbor. Right? Life in the Spirit. Freedom in the Spirit. Love your neighbor. Follow Jesus. Keep in step. Where's he going to lead me, Steve? Where's he going to lead me? Two people. To love them as you love yourself. What do our small groups look like, Steve? Hmm. Keeping a step with the Spirit. Being in relationship with people. And loving them, not because you have to, because you want, because Jesus doesn't, because you want to. The other part of it is this. Never think, this is the other part I didn't say in here. Don't think too highly of yourself, but listen, people. Never think too highly of yourself. I need you to pay attention. You pay attention. Never think too highly of yourself. Never think too low of yourself either. Because I know people who actually don't engage relationships. They just don't think they're worthy of anybody in any relationship. They live perpetually feeling like they never measure up. And so they go into a small group and they will say, this is the worst group ever. Why? Because they live with such a spirit of rejection that everything that's said and done, they think the world's out to get them and they can't connect with anybody because everyone's going to let them down. You know who did not speak that? Jesus Whose responsibility is that? The person and then those who are in the group to make sure that they are loving and pursuing that person. If you are one by nature who just, it's like your life is marked by rejection, I'll be honest with you, that's 50% you. You better own it. The world's not out to get you. Jesus doesn't hate you and his light, his desire in life is not to make you miserable and make you disconnected from people. Own it. Own it. And dive into relationship. But the word they hurt me. They're going to. They're human beings. And you're going to hurt them. Get over it. Forgive them and move on. All right. In fact, the worship team to come, ministry team to come forward to. Here's how we're going to end this morning. I want to end with a time of contemplation, a time of you just being still before the Lord. A time of you kind of processing this yourself, right? We don't want to just immediately jump back into this high energetic worship, whatever it is. I want you to sit before the Lord this morning. You can stand if you want to. You can come to the altar, whatever it means. I want you just to take some time to focus. Where am I in the context of receiving love from Jesus? Where am I in the context of walking with the Spirit? Where am I in, where am I in the context of my own sin? Where am I in the context of these five pieces of recognition? My gosh, God, I just give myself to you. Where are you in the context of keep of walking with the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit? Some of you are like, oh my gosh, if I'm totally walking in my own sin today, oh, I need to be released from that. There's somebody this morning who don't even know Jesus. And you're definitely not walking and keeping in step with the Spirit because you even know Him. He's not empowering because he live inside of you. This morning, if you don't know Jesus, I don't have to like talk you into it. I'm just going to ask the Lord to convict you. What do you mean convict me? I'm going to let him make sure. I'm going to pray, God, they don't believe. Would you convict them of what's right? That they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're real. I was going to pray that God himself would come and go... Oh, you're like, oh, Jesus, oh, I'm not believing you, but oh, what's going on right now? And this, he would convict you to know that he's real. Why? So you can know the spirit of God. You can know the spirit of life. You can walk in true freedom and keep in step with Jesus.
is you can love people fully. So you respond as the Lord leads this morning. Contemplate. If you have things this morning, you need to pray into with you. The ministry team's on both sides. I don't care what it is. If you've got a hangnail this morning that's bothering you or you're afraid you're going to die, come forward. Somewhere between this, right? Come and get prayer. We'd love to pray for you about anything because we just love you. If you came this morning and you're new to vintage, came this morning or you're new to vintage, these are offering baskets. We don't do anything super crazy with those. In worship, if you came ready to give this morning, you can give right here. You can give in that metal box. If you don't like walking forward, you only walk backwards. Then go there, right? We have a giving kiosk out and an uh, iPad out front, too, just to help you, just to help you worship. Where we have communion available to celebrate the work of Jesus and producing freedom inside of us. All right. You respond as the Lord leads this morning. We're officially done this morning, so you can stay until you're done. Hassan will be leading us in worship, and uh, it'll be good. You respond as the Lord leads this morning. Don't forget to sign up for small groups before you leave. And don't forget to get your kids. That's important. All right. Indeed.